0: This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Pastor Will Chester. Well, my name is Will, I'm the youth pastor here at Church of the Resurrection. And I'm not much of a foodie myself, but I've, I've become much more interested in food in the last few years, principally because of a lot of television I've watched on Netflix. So the great British baking show and the late Anthony Bourdain, I feel like all of a sudden I have this rich understanding of food. And I've even, I've even started doing a little baking myself. And in the last four years, I've started baking bread almost every week, just as a, as a regular discipline. And so if, if you're a foodie, then you're going to really love the Bible, because the Bible is full of references to food from beginning to end, of people growing food, of people hungering for food, of people eating food, even comparing God himself to food. And so when Jesus is tempted, he quotes from Deuteronomy and he says that his bread is every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Jesus even says about himself, I am the bread of life. Well this morning we come to one of my favorite food references in the Bible, and this might be my favorite Bible reference, period. John 21, 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. I've even got that framed, it's sitting in my kitchen, and people come and they see it, and they're like, oh, that's cute, that's funny. Like I could totally imagine Jesus saying something like that. As if I'm like putting words in his mouth, and I'm like, no, 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 seriously, this is a command of the Lord. Come and have breakfast. And they laugh. It's comical. It kind of, you, you try to like put this in the category. and It's difficult to do because we're talking about the resurrected Jesus. This is the incarnate word from all eternity. This is the second person of the Trinity. This is the man who only a few weeks prior to this rode into Jerusalem as a king, was crucified like a criminal, was, was raised from the dead on the third day, raised in glory, now sitting on a beach before a fire, and the thing he wants to do more than anything else in that moment is to make breakfast for his friends. It's this incredible story. And you could laugh, you could weep thinking about this. After everything he's suffered, everything he's gone through, with all the glory that he now has, here he is making his disciples breakfast. And I think you could spend your whole life meditating on just this passage, and you would still not understand just the depths of grace and mercy that are presented here. This invitation to come and have breakfast, it's not just a story from back then, but it's meant to teach us something about our lives with Jesus now. This passage is about a return to normal, everyday, day-to-day existence of work and school and providing for our families, the drudgery of household chores. This is about normal life, and the question is, how do we meet Jesus in normal, everyday life? What does it look like to abide in him? And I'm sure that's a question that many of our college students are asking today as you're preparing to go home after the school year. What does it look like to continue abiding in Jesus? This passage gives us an answer to that question. And so if you have Bibles, open to John chapter 21, beginning of the passage. Our passage opens on the shores of the Sea of Tiberias, which is also called by the name Galilee. And so in Mark, we're told that Jesus instructs his disciples, return to Galilee and I'll meet you there. Wait for me. And so not only is this home for many of the disciples, but it's also the setting of many of their most significant experiences with Jesus. This is the place where Peter received his calling, where they saw Jesus feed the 5,000. It's where uh, Jesus walked on water and calmed the storm. And so they go back there, the seven of the disciples are together, and Peter says, well, I don't know what to do, or I'm hungry, or, or who knows why, but he says, I'm going fishing. And they come with him. This is a return to ordinary life for the disciples. They know that Jesus is sending them, but they don't know where. They know that Jesus is calling them into something, but they don't know what. And so they wait. This is ordinary life. This is a position that maybe you find yourselves in. After significant changes in your life that came through Holy Week, and now you're saying, Lord, what do you have for me? Where can I continue to meet you? Disciples return to everyday life, they go fishing at night and they catch nothing. And throughout the Gospel of John, there's this theme of darkness and light, where darkness represents life without Jesus and light represents life with Jesus. And so in the darkness of night, the disciples catch nothing, but now day is breaking. The sun is beginning to shine and there Jesus stands on the shore. As if Jesus is telling them what he said earlier in the Gospel of John, "'Apart from me, you can do nothing. "'But with me, you will bear much fruit, "'fruit that will last.'" This experience of catching nothing is our experience too. It's what what Christians, what we call our fallen condition, right? We expect things to work out in the world. We expect to put work in and get a good return whether we're planting expensive perennials in our garden, we're expecting that they're not just gonna wash away in a flood into the drain at the end of the street, right? Amen? Did that happen to anybody this week? (laughs) We're expecting that we're gonna put work in in our workplace and we're gonna get a good salary back, we're gonna get promotions back, we're gonna get affirmation back. We expect that we're gonna put money into our retirement and we're gonna see a return later on. We expect that we're gonna see a return in our family relationships, in our romantic relationships. But what we know is that the world doesn't work as we feel it ought to. Our lives can often be marked by futility, putting work in, not getting what we expect back out. This is part of the curse of the fall. And if we look at that on a large scale level, what we see in the Bible is that God noticed. God noticed us in our futility. And out of his love, he spoke to us. Through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, through the prophets, he spoke to us. And then he spoke to us through the word, his son. He saw us. And here in this passage, Jesus sees the disciples and he speaks to them. And he says, children, do you have any fish? Which in Greek is framed in the negative. It's more like, children, you're not catching much today, are you? I think one of the most important things that all of us need in our lives when we're going through a difficult season, a futile season of labor, is simply to be seen. Simply to know that somebody sees us. More than an answer, more than a way out, more than advice, we simply need to be seen. And on a large scale, in our human condition, the Lord has seen us and he has spoken through his son, Jesus. And in your lives this morning, the Lord sees you in that difficult place you might be in. He sees you, he notices you, and he speaks to you. How do we walk with Jesus in the day to day? So the disciples call back over the water. They don't recognize that it's Jesus yet. They say, no, we haven't caught anything yet. After an entire night of, of throwing this heavy net into the water and then dragging it back up into the boat, And so Jesus calls back, cast the net onto the other side of the boat. And you've got to think it's kind of silly. I mean, he's not saying like, go over to that side of the sea. There's fish biting over there. He's literally just like, why don't you just try a few feet to the right? That should take care of it. And the disciples, they listen. And what they find is that the net fills with so many fish that they're almost unable to haul it in by themselves. It's this image of overwhelming abundance. And throughout the Bible, images of abundance, especially abundance of food, are connected to the world as it was meant to be, and as the world as it will be. And so the promised land, right, is a land flowing with milk and honey, with vineyards and orchards already planted and ready to go. And when the Israelites go hungry in the wilderness, God sends so much manna and quail that the Bible says it's like it was coming out of their noses. They were overwhelmed by it. And even when Israel strays away from the Lord and all seems lost, the prophets use these food analogies. Like Amos, he says the day is coming when the harvest will be so plentiful that the harvesters won't finish harvesting by the time it's, by the time it's ready to plant again. I mean, talk about a great problem to have. And of course, what was Jesus' first miracle? It was to speak to the servants at a wedding and bring about an abundance of the best tasting wine offered that day. God's word brings fruit. God's word brings abundance. And so the disciple whom Jesus loved sees the abundance of fish and it all starts to click for him and he looks over at Peter, and he says, it's the Lord. And that shows up three times in our passage. We're supposed, to, we're supposed to key in on that. This is about the revelation of Jesus. It's the Lord. And it's a picture of what Jesus has said earlier in John. If you obey my words, you'll abide in my love. And if you abide in my love, you'll bear much fruit. Jesus says that he has appointed you to bear much fruit, fruit that will last. Your life is meant to be fruitful, but you cannot live a fruitful life apart from Jesus. And you cannot stay close to Jesus without staying close to his word by hearing it, obeying it, loving it, cherishing it. Through his word, God creates the world. And through his word, God recreates the world, your life included. This is why we spend so much time in the scriptures together, listening to it, studying it. It's not just a sacred text. But this is the means by which Jesus transforms our world. So how does Jesus meet us in the day-to-day? Here's the guarantee. He meets us through his word, preached, read, studied, meditated on, savored, obeyed. We meet the Lord in his word. Day by day. That's not it. The story moves on towards the, to the, towards the second way that we meet Jesus in the day-to-day. So Peter hears John say that it's the Lord, and he takes just enough time to put on a few clothes so he's decent when he gets to the shore, and that's really what's going on. He's not like putting on all of his robes. That's a bad recommendation for anybody who wants to swim. He's putting on just enough clothes that'll be decent, and he's rushing to Jesus. And if you want to see the, the profundity of this moment, you've got to compare it to an earlier scene that's very similar to this, when Peter first met Jesus. That's recorded in Luke chapter five. So the story goes like this. Jesus wants to speak to the crowds who are on the shoreline, so he asks Peter, Let's, you know, can I go out in your boat, let my voice carry over the waters? So Jesus does this, he preaches to the crowds. And then he says to Peter, Peter, throw your net over on the other side of the boat. And Peter says, I've been fishing all night. I kinda know what I'm doing. I'm a fisherman, you're a carpenter. But fine, you know, if you want me to do this, I'll do it just to show you. He throws the net on the other side of the boat. Same thing happens, an abundance of fish, so much so that the nets are breaking. And then what's Peter's response? He looks at Jesus and he says, depart from me, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He wants to put distance between himself and Jesus. But here, the opposite is happening. Peter recognizes that it's the Lord, and he jumps out of the boat. He can't wait to get there. He doesn't want anything to hold him back. He rushes to be with Jesus. And what does he see when he gets to the shore? But Jesus, in a charcoal fire with fish and bread... You think charcoal fire, charcoal fire, where have we heard those words before? They only show up in two places. So one's here and the other is just a few chapters earlier where Peter is standing in front of a charcoal fire warming himself where he denies Jesus three times. And notice what's happened. The charcoal fire that was a place of betrayal has become a charcoal fire that's a place of fellowship. And this is is Jesus' initiative to do this. It's no accident. As if to say to Peter, not even your sin, not even your worst sin can stand in the way of my purposes for you. As if to remind him, I still call you friend. You are still welcome to be with me affirming that intuition that Peter had when he leapt out of the boat to go be near Jesus. Picture of forgiveness. So when the disciples come to the shore, Jesus says to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. Why does he ask them to bring the fish? The passage says that the net contained 153 fish. It's kind of a strange number. And many ancient and modern scholars have seen in this number a symbol of the nations. This 153 represents the nations that are being drawn to the Father through Jesus. And the net that Jesus is asking the disciples to carry is a symbol of the church, which holds the nations. And remember in Luke chapter 5, Peter catches all of these fish and the nets begin to break. But what happens here? It says the net was not torn. And that word torn is our word schism. Like earlier in John, when the gospel of John says that schisms, divisions, occurred amongst the peoples because of Jesus' teaching. But with this net, there is no schism. Just as there is no schism between Jesus and his heavenly Father all the way to the cross, there is no schism in the net. And Jesus prays that the church would be one just as he and the Father are one. And so what does this mean for you and me? Well, here's here's one application. Do you know that person in your life about whom you think they will never come to Jesus? They are too different. And they could never find a home in the church. They would stand out too much. They're too different. They're too this, they're too that. Well, this passage shows that Jesus has a net that can hold even them. Jesus has a net that can hold the nations, and the net will not break. We believe in one holy Catholic, that's universal church, that can hold the universality of human existence. This net can hold anyone. We also believe in an apostolic church, which means that all of us who come into the church submit our lives to the teaching of Jesus as delivered to us in the scriptures. But what this symbol means, this net that holds the nations, is that there is not one person on this planet for whom the gospel is not good news. There is not one person on this planet for whom the gospel is not ultimately the best news that they could ever receive. And there is not one person on this planet for whom the church is not ultimately their true home. Jesus has a net and the net does not break. The net can hold the nations. And here we come to the end of our passage, verse 12. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew, third time, it was the Lord. We meet Jesus in the day by day, by listening to his word, by obeying his word, by seeing abundance. And we meet him through the visible words of the meal that he offers us. John chapter 21, this is John's Eucharistic theology. Along with John chapter six and the feeding of the 5,000, and where Jesus talks about the true bread that comes from heaven. And you find it here in the end of his gospel, Jesus reveals himself through word and sacrament. Martin Luther calls the Eucharist, what we celebrate here, he calls it visible words, because we see with our eyes the promise of God. And the promise of God that we see here on the table is a promise of table fellowship. It's a promise that God is not ashamed to call you and I his children. He is not ashamed to call you and I his friend. He is not ashamed even to be a host who cooks a meal by the sweat of his own brow and then offers it to us. This table is the Lord's table, but it's also your table because the Lord Jesus invites you to meet him here just as you meet him through his word. And this was the intent all along. We were invited to the breakfast table from the moment we were created. Adam and Eve are born into a garden where every living thing is there for them as food. They're born to commune with God in a meal. And we fell from that grace. But God's mission all along has been to restore us to that meal has been to restore us to the table where we have fellowship with him. And this stands in stark contrast, stark contrast to so much of what religion is, even for us. Many of us think of religion as an act of human hospitality. So we're going to make our lives good enough and clean enough and clear enough and woke enough so that God would bless us so that he would come and meet us. But that's not the picture here. This is an act not of human hospitality. This is an act of divine hospitality. Jesus makes the meal and invites us to come and eat with him, the meal that he alone provides. And when you dine at this table, you dine with Jesus. And the breakfast that he gives you is nothing less than his very self, union, with the God of the universe that we have longed for at last. And so what does life look like in the day-to-day as you return to work or the drudgery of school or to an unknown situation? In many ways, that's up to you. You can live life on empty. You can run out the door, a cup of coffee in your hand, and you will likely experience the futility that this world has to offer. But Jesus offers you a better way. He invites you to meet him through word and sacrament in the church to a life of abiding with him in word and sacrament. And his prayer is that you will bear much fruit and show yourselves to be his disciples. His prayer is that you will be filled with joy. Not just any joy, but his joy. That his joy would be in you and that your joy would be full. And Jesus is not surprised if you come to the table this morning weary, after a long night or a long week or even a long year. He's not surprised by that. And he is not put off by the memory that's in your mind of your own charcoal fire, the memory of your past sins, he's not put off by that. but He sees you and he speaks to you and this morning he feeds you and he says to you, he invites you